Okay, you guys can have a seat. It's great to be here. Okay, so I'm not a sports fan, so I probably shouldn't say this, but I think it's like baseball happened this week. Is that what happened? Opening day something? Okay, so baseball actually started this week. We have baseball fans. All I know is I have to root for the St. Louis Cardinals growing up. I don't know anything else about baseball. <laughs> so it's glad to have you guys this morning. If you're visiting with us, whether you're online or with us here in person, we are so glad you're here, and we'd love to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that is to go to mybethel.cc connect, and right there is a place for you to put your name and either an email address or phone number so we can reach out to you this week and just see how we can better serve you. So we've been um, three, four or five weeks, I can't remember, we've been studying who is the real Jesus, like who is he? And we've learned the why, and now today we're going to jump back into our series in Philippians and learn the what. So now we know why we do it, who is the Jesus, who is he to us, he's the king, he's our substitute, he's a man, and now we get to say, okay, now what do we do? So let's do it. Good morning, Bethel. How are we doing? Good to see you guys this morning. You guys uh, coming out. We're getting kind of back into the swing of things, back into normal. It's really nice to uh, to be at this stage of where we are. Uh, if you think about it, just for a moment, I just wanted to reflect just for a second. One year ago this Sunday was our last Sunday before we went into shutdown, lockdown, social distancing, isolation, all that stuff. Um, I think a, a year ago, right now, masks still were not a thing. We were just going to go home and stay home and flatten the curve. And a year later, here we are, 52 weeks later, you know, here we are. Uh, but I do want us to reflect just for a minute just about all that God has done in this last year, um, what he's allowed us to experience, maybe bonding with our families, uh, maybe learning a new way to do work at home, uh, some of us becoming more creative in the way we do things. And so uh, I know that the pandemic's still going on. We're still in this unknown as far as vaccination, as far as immunization, as far as are we immune or not. And so as we're stepping into this uh, season, this next season, I know God's going to do something far greater than we can imagine. I know God is in control and he's working through all these circumstances. Uh, but I also know that we need to ex keep extending grace and we need to keep our eyes focused on what's important and what's important is Jesus uh, what's important is what God's doing uh, in your life what's important is let's 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 just keep the main things the main things and not get distracted with a lot of a lot of things that will get us off course and so I want us to pray then we're gonna jump into this week uh, where we're talking about let's do it there's a lot of work to be done as a follower of Jesus um, and we're not talking about salvation because salvation was settled on the cross we're talking about actually getting to work for Jesus uh, after he has redeemed us, after he has saved us, to actually get to work. And now more than ever, we need to be about the work of showing the proof, showing the results of our salvation. So let's, uh, let's pray, and we're going to jump in this morning. Let's pray. God, we are in awe of what you've done. We're thinking about this last year, in particular today. Um, just a, a time where there was a lot of unknowns, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. And uh, thinking back to a year ago, we were making decisions to 
to do things we had never done before. Uh, but now, a year later, we've gotten used to things we never thought we'd be, we'd be used to. We, we're getting used to a life that's just a little different. But one of the things that's remained constant, Lord, is you. You've remained constant. Uh, your church has continued. You've continued to bless. You've been, been continued to call people to yourself. And you've continued to bond people together in, in, in the way that only Jesus can do. Uh, this morning, God, as we step into Paul's next instructions in Philippians, I pray that it would be, just be real for us, that we would step into this next phase of our lives, the, the, what you have for us coming next, that we would actually focus on showing the results of the salvation that we've experienced through Jesus. There are many people around us, God, in our community, you know that you're trying to draw to yourself, and we as believers need to lead the way, need to point the way, and be a light. And so this morning, God, I pray that your word would be blessed. God, that you'd use um, our church to make a difference here in our community. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to ask you, what gets you out of bed? So what gets you out of bed? What gives you the energy to actually get up and start your day? Now, is it coffee? Like the smell of coffee, maybe? You have an auto pot that comes on and you smell it. Um, when I was a kid, it was the best part of waking up. Now it's not that. That's terrible. You know, that's terrible stuff. Sorry, if you drink Folgers, I don't want to offend. But, um, but is it coffee? What, what about your alarm? Is your alarm, you have to put it across the room and that's what gets you out of bed? What else, what else gets you out of bed? Just tell, yell it out. Your, your, your spouse? Okay. Huh? The kids? What is Dogs? Yes. Someone said your bladder? Yes. What else? Your cats. No, come on, John. No. You just ruined and derailed the whole message, John. Don't you know the cats are of the... Never mind, I won't talk about that. <laughs> Maybe purpose gets you out of bed? Work? Um, what gets us out of bed really day to day is the energy or the, the thing that causes us to move. And I, I've been looking into this thing called energy. We're going to talk about this today in the passage that we're reading about. But, but in physics, energy is actually a property that has to be transferred. It can't be created and it can't be destroyed. It's all just transferred energy. And so when, you, when you're in the morning and your alarm goes off or you need to get up and go to work or your kids are starting to bug you or your dogs, hopefully not your cats, but they're bugging you and you need to get up, it's that energy that's transferred to move you out of bed and actually out into the world to, to work. Um, Christy sent me this um, little thing this morning I was going to put on the screen. Um, getting out of bed would be 10 times easier if a, there was a Caribbean ocean and 85 degrees weather waiting for you outside. Huh? 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 Man, we're so far from the beach, I don't know why God condemned us to Oklahoma. I don't get it. I'm just kidding. No, Oklahoma's great. <laughs> as far from the beach as we can get. So we have to go there in our minds, right? right? But I mean, it's one of those things where getting out of bed, whatever it is that gets us out of bed in the morning, that's something that we can harness and we can actually grab hold of, and we can maximize our effort, efforts and productivity based on that original thing that's going to motivate us to get out of bed. Here's, here's the unfortunate part of our world, and we've all learned this during COVID, is that most of us just are too depressed. We just end up staying in bed. We'd rather just stay in bed. That's our happy place, pajamas and our covers, and we just want to stay in bed instead of actually getting up and doing something. This year, we're trying to realign, uh, reset our lives under Scripture, under what God has for us um, in God's Word, and many of us are deciding 
what we're going to do with our year. We're already in uh, March. We're coming into the middle. We're already almost about to finish the first quarter of the year, and we're deciding how this year is going to go, and this year actually will set up the rest of, the, rest of our lives, depending on what we do this year. Paul has given us a massive encouragement in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. We're going to be in uh, 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 chapter 2, kind of halfway down. If you have your Bible app, you can go there as well, follow along on the Bible app. But Paul is telling us how to find our path or find our way, find our purpose, and then he wants us to run, and he mentions this thing of running several times in Philippians, and he wants us to run down the path, and so once we learn or once we figure out the track that God wants us to go on, we can actually start running and focusing. A lot of us experience life like a bunch of different trails, and we don't know where to, which one to pick and which way to go, and we end up just running all sorts of places that are not productive, but Paul is telling us, let's figure out the track and we just learned a few weeks ago that it's Jesus. He's the real track. Let's figure him out, and then let's run. Let's just do it. One of the vital paths that we're on as a church, we're trying to align our hearts together because um, many times we just come to church, we do a religious experience, and then we go, and it doesn't affect our week. And we want each person to be connected to someone here at the, at, at the church. We want everyone to meet and to know one another. Our, our mission, our, our, the thing that we're facing or that we're, for, we're facing toward is we want to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus, but you can't love and lead someone if you don't know them. And so we're encouraging everyone to make an appointment. And when you make an appointment for coffee or for lunch or for, for anything, just a conversation, we want you to connect with people and we want you to do four things. We want you to tell your Jesus story. That's knowing Jesus. It's that intimate knowledge of what Jesus has done for you and share that with people around you and that'll be very encouraging. We also want you to know what really matters. That's getting on the same page. Find common ground with people. Then we want you to tell something in your story, something that's difficult, maybe a struggle that you have, and then that person to know you better and love you in spite of it and because of it. And then we want everybody to know their role. We want everybody to know their place. So before you leave today, make an appointment with someone. Make sure that you connect with someone and go to coffee, go to breakfast, go to dinner, invite them over to your house, um, swing by work. Do something to connect with someone today so that you can encourage them towards their purpose. We just wrapped up our section, as Christy said, about finding the real Jesus. He is our path. Simply put, four things. He is God. We can trust him. He became man. We can identify with him, and he identifies with us. He took our place on the cross. He became our substitute, and then now he's our king. He gives us daily purpose. Um, at the end of the message last week, uh, Pastor Reuben preached. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, go out on, our, on Facebook or on YouTube and watch that message, but at the end of the message, we, I wanted to encourage each of you to, to do something every day, to put your body in motion to kneel before God voluntarily, because at the end of this passage, it said that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I encouraged you all to get on your knees. And so this week, I got with Max, my son, and every single day I went into his room. He's a very hyper kid. He runs around. He, I have a hard time getting him focused on getting ready. I have to get him up super early just in order to, for him to be ready to go to school, because uh, he's all over the place. And so every day this week, I walk into his room. His alarm's going off. He lets it go off for like three minutes. He doesn't care. He just lets it go. So I walk into his room, pull him out of bed, and the first thing we've been doing is just getting on our knees, and we look at each other, and he's just like, Dad, no, Dad. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So we look at each other on our knees, and I put my hands out, and he puts his hands out, and we just re he has to repeat after me. Jesus, you're God. I trust you. Jesus, you came, and I, I, you found out who I am. I can identify with you. Jesus, you took my place on the cross. Now, Jesus, you are king. 
and I submit to you. And today is your day. Whatever you do, whatever you decide, I will say yes. And that's it. We start our day that way. Man, it has been a game changer. I want to encourage you to, to continue to do that if you haven't. If you, if you haven't done it, pick it up this week and just get on your knees every single day and give your day to God as king. And I promise you, you'll see things that you have not seen in your daily walk. You'll see things at work. You'll see people. You'll come into contact with people. And what it does is it opens up your door, your, your life, for appointments that God has set up. And so if you would do that, it's not a forced thing. It's a willing thing. Um, so we've come out of finding the real Jesus, and Paul gives us some to-dos, okay? Some to-dos. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 12 and, and beyond. Verse 12 says this. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Now that I'm away, it is even more important. So here's, here's the thing that Paul is trying to say. He's, he's trying to encourage this church that he actually walked with. He started this church, um, and he's now in prison, and he's telling them, when I was there, you always listened to my instruction. But I'm not there now, and it's really important for you to continue forward following my instructions. It was really easy to follow Paul because he was God's messenger. He actually walked with Jesus. He heard from God. It was easy to follow someone like that. Today, we actually don't have a Paul to follow. We don't have someone that actually was chosen by Jesus himself and walked with Jesus. So you and I are actually on the now that I'm away category. That's how all of us operate is now that I'm away, it's important for you to continue in the teaching. So if you look in this, it says that, that he said, now that I'm away, I need you to follow my instructions. And most Christians, unfortunately, base their relationship with Jesus on the leaders of the church, on pastors and spiritual leaders, maybe the band or maybe your Sunday school teacher or maybe your small group leader. We base our spiritual lives on the leader, and when the leader makes a mistake, it messes us up. Let me say something to you. Church leaders fail. All you got to do is get in the headlines right now, go to Google and search church leaders failing, and there's a list of well-known pastors and church leaders that have failed. And if your eyes are on them, you're going to be derailed every day. Church leaders make mistakes. Church leaders sin. Church leaders have to make daily decisions to follow Jesus. And yes, some church leaders actually abuse people. Some church leaders mistreat people. It's terrible what happens in the name of Jesus. If you grew up in a church and you've experienced some kind of pain and hurt from church, many times at the hands of the people that are supposed to be serving, I'm so sorry. And I want to call you to what Paul is saying here, which is whether I'm here or not, focus on the real Jesus. Because if you'll keep your eyes on the real Jesus, it'll keep you from making the same mistakes that church leaders do. Because just because church leaders fail, it doesn't give you the license to make the same mistake. Just because Jesus holds leaders to a high standard, he actually holds you to high standards as well as a follower of Jesus. So when church leaders fail, people get discouraged and walk away from Jesus. They get disheartened and lose focus. And here at Bethel, we have said from day one, we want you to understand it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and others. We want you to find and follow Jesus, not a human leader. Pastor Reuben said last week, uh, Ray is not your God and I'm not your God. This is not the way this goes. We want you to understand who Jesus is and tie your life to him. 
because he will never fail. He will never mess up. He will never disappoint you. And Paul is telling us the importance of following the real Jesus. Whether you're being watched by leadership or not, we need to follow Jesus as a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week thing, not just on Sunday mornings. It's really easy to come in with your Christian face on at church. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when no one's watching, how are you acting? That's what Paul is saying, even when I'm not there. And then he goes into this next part. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is, giving, is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. And so the Christian life is hard, and it's hard work. The Christian life is not for sissies. It's not a passive, easygoing life. It actually is a life that Jesus himself says, take up your cross and follow me. That's a lot of work. And Paul here says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. He doesn't say work hard for salvation. He actually says work hard to show the results in your life. So it's hard work. We got to work hard to show our results. And actually what, what Paul is kind of saying is he's like, it's like picking up a diamond that's it's kind of in the rough and you pick up the diamond and you begin to look at it through light and you spin it. And as you spin it, you see the different angles and the different degrees that the diamond actually has. And you can, you can point it out and you can see the flaws and the crack lines and you can see all the different facets in the diamond. And if you'll Pick it up, and if you'll turn it and you'll look at it, you'll say, man, God's good news for my life means so much more than just get out of hell. It actually gives me abundant life, and if I turn the diamond this way, the light will come through this way, and it'll make a difference in my life. If I actually examine it, see how it sparkles there, and see how this little, little interesting thing is here, and I'm not sure when the last time is that you picked up your salvation and looked at it. That's kind of strange, but have you sat and actually considered what Jesus did for you and what that means, what the implications are for that, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm not sure when the last time is that you showed the results of your salvation. If, if we're not careful, though, we'll be so busy doing work that we don't remember the relationship with the real Jesus. We've got to remember that here Paul says, obeying God in deep reverence and fear. So this fear is wonder and it's awe. Reverence is submission to his authority over our life, and obedience is, his command, is in his command. And Paul reminds us that the person that's doing the work in us is not us. The person that's actually giving us the energy, remember the energy of getting out of bed? Actually, the energy comes from God working in you. So don't miss this. I, I cannot work in you. Pastor Reuben cannot work in you. Pastor Randy cannot work in you. I have no power or control over your desires. I know a lot of church leaders think they can control you and manipulate you and tell you exactly what to do. The truth is we're terrible at it. I can barely control my own kids. How in the world is this going to transfer to the church? And as a pastor, my main responsibility is, in, is, is an example, and I have no power over your desires. I have no control or power over your commitment. I have no power or control over your destination. It's all God. It's submitting to him, trusting him, and following him. i got to work out my salvation as well, and I'm discovering God's goodness in my life every day as well. I'm discovering God's authority in my life. So when I was reading this section, this really hit me, and it hit me home, and I wrote it down, and I'm worried to share it with you, but this is what I feel God is saying. He's saying, don't blame your spiritual leaders for your lack of commitment to the process God started in your life. Don't blame your spiritual leaders for your lack of commitment 
to the process God has started in your life. Yes, people fail. And that's why Jesus says, keep your eyes up to the author and the finisher of your faith, not on other people that are going to fail, because he's working. He's actually giving you the desire. He's giving you the power. And God, through Jesus, is literally giving you the desire in your, your heart and the energy to do what he wants you to do. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to manipulate it. All you have to do is yield to it. The desire and the power are a result of obedience. It's all God. We just need to submit to him. Because once you've experienced the joy of obeying God, you'll actually be hard-pressed to stop. It's, it's kind of like starting a diet or an exercise program. If you've ever done that, you know, January is like the good day to, uh, the day to start working out or eating right. You, do you remember how this is? If you've done this before, I've done this my whole life multiple times, and it's miserable. But that first couple weeks, ah. Okay, so why do we do it? So maybe you pin up on your, on your, your mirror the beach body. You're like, oh, yeah, that's why. I'm going to the beach in July, and I want to look good. But you think about the first month or the first couple weeks, how hard it is to get yourself in motion to feel good about yourself. And it's, it's even through education. I mean, at first it's like, what am I doing? I cannot figure this thing out. And it's hard work up front. So, so a lot of my recommendations, Christy and I have done this way too many times. You'd think we'd learn by now, but you go to your pantry or your fridge, and you look at all the sugar and all the snacks and all the stuff, and you give it all away. First day, the day that you're really committed, you just give it all away. Or chunk it, I don't know, either way. You just get rid of it. Because you will be tempted to eat sugar and snacks. You will. You're not going to be like, no, this time I'm not going to be tempted. You will be tempted. And so if you throw it away, and at 10 o'clock at night, you're like, oh man, some vanilla ice cream sounds really good with some chocolate squirrel on top with some nuts. Ooh, whipped cream would be great. And you go to your fridge, and you're like, oh, I don't have anything. And Brahms, I think, they may be open, but I've got to get my car. And you can overcome the temptation because you threw all that stuff out as you were thinking about it. The, the Christian life is this way. When you start the journey of obedience, I said earlier that it's, a, it's energy and desire from God, but it's based on obedience. And obedience is a hard thing because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And as soon as I hear the Spirit or I hear God asking me to do something, I end up going, uh, I don't really want to, that's too hard. And when you start your journey of obedience, you may have to go and start some things or end some things in order to start your body in motion. There, there's some of you that may need to get your phone out and your computer out and put a blocker on it to keep you from what you need, you're actually tempted to look at. You, you may need that. You may need to put some time constraints on your devices. You may, to, may need to cancel a TV subscription, or you may need to build up boundaries and find someone to hold you accountable to those boundaries. That's hard work. Maybe you need to create some reminders daily, hourly, minute-by-minute minute inspiration to take steps towards obedience, and if you begin the hard work and yield your desires to Jesus, you'll actually create a direction of obedience and listening and sensitivity toward the desires of God in your life, and then this joy happens, and you look back and you say, man, I can't believe I used to do that, but now I'm doing this. You step on the scale, and you're like, oh, this feels good. Where's the ice cream? And that's what we do. We just go right back, right? I earned it. 
And in our Christian life, it takes hard work to get on the, on the process towards this. And actually, we're capable of doing it because God puts in us the desire, but then he puts in us the power and the energy to make it happen. And then Paul gives us a great place to start working out our salvation. Look at verse 14. He says this, Do everything without complaining and arguing. Oh man, we could camp here all day. But I only had a few minutes left. Do everything. You should circle that if you have your Bibles. Circle, highlight, underline, put exclamation points there. Do everything without complaining and arguing. So that no one can criticize you. Oh man, that'd be an amazing thing. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world full of crooked and perverse people. Christy and I have said this once, we've said it a thousand times, we'd love just once to hear our kids say, it's my pleasure to clean my room. It would be my pleasure to take the trash out. It would be my pleasure to wash the dishes. Oh, it would be my pleasure to sweep the floor. Oh, it would be my pleasure to be nice to my sibling. I mean, we, we wish we heard that from our kids. And I wonder if God is looking at us and saying, man, I just wish once I'd hear God. Yes, I'll do it. Don't complain. Be positive. Be gospel changed. And, and Paul says to live clean and innocent lives. And so you need to stop posting crap on Facebook. Whoops. I said crap. You need to stop posting stuff on Facebook. Okay. Because what's, what's happening is we end up posting things that draw attention to what shouldn't be drawn attention to instead of Jesus. It says shine like bright lights. Represent Jesus. I tell my kids every day when they leave the car, represent. Why? Because I know they have a chance today to make all sorts of decisions to not represent well. And you and I do too as well. You guys, you and I do too. We're in this together. You know, sometimes I'm embarrassed to be a Christian. I've told you guys this before. But just because I'm embarrassed to be a Christian doesn't negate that I am one. Just because I'm embarrassed about some followers of Jesus doesn't mean that I'm not a follower of Jesus. Just because I'm embarrassed about the actions of some white men doesn't make me less of a white man. I am one. So, so my job is not to be embarrassed or walk away from those things. It's actually act different so that the ones that are acting that way would say, E, you can be a follower of Jesus and live this way. You can be a follower of Jesus and not judge. And you can be a follower of Jesus and not criticize. And you can be a follower of Jesus and be positive. Don't be another criticized Christian. We have way too many of those. Work hard. Don't be another failed Christian. We see too many of those. Work hard. Don't be another negative Christian. Don't be another judgmental Christian. Be an encourager and be different. And then Paul says this in verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life. This is holding tightly and don't let go. Nothing can take place of Scripture. Nothing. It's for everyone. It's the most powerful thing you can grab and read every single day. There's nothing more powerful and life-changing than you opening God's word every day and letting it get into your life. There's nothing more important that you can do. Hold tightly to this. When approaching Scripture, you're actually looking for context. If you're, sorry, if you're looking for context that confirm your, your bias, you're actually reading it wrong. You need to look at Scripture and say, what needs to be changed in my life? When I go to the mirror in the morning, I'm looking for a few things. 
I'm looking for hairs out of place, I'm looking for boogers in my nose, and I'm looking for pimples that need to be popped. I'm 43, and yes, it still happens. It's ridiculous. But the reason I look in the mirror is because I don't want to walk out and someone be like, I can't even look at Ray, I just can't even look at him today. Right? So when I look at Scripture, I'm not like looking at Scripture to say, oh, Ray, you're so beautiful, and you just look so good. No, I'm actually looking at Scripture to say, what's out of line? What's off? I'm not looking at it to confirm my bias. I'm actually looking at it to change my bias. When we approach Scripture with preconceived ideas, we miss the majesty and the miracle of a changed heart. If it wasn't for Scripture, I would have never heard that I was flawed, fallen, lost, and needing a Savior. But I also wouldn't have learned that I'm loved, and I'm chosen, and I'm found by God. Scripture is to be elevated above all feeling and philosophy and ideology and preference. Scripture confronts and it comforts. Scripture shows me the good news. Look at uh, Paul, he keeps saying this. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service as an offering to God, And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Paul has actually chosen the track to run on, and he's hoping that he would not be disappointed at the end of his life. He wanted to make sure that his life was meaningful and full of purpose. And I want you to, and and you want the same thing, I'm sure. I want the same thing with my life at the end, to realize that it mattered. You want to get up each day and know that you're living for a purpose, And you're living out exactly why you're here, what God created you for. The idea of a liquid offering is pretty amazing because Paul is referencing an old Jewish tradition back in Numbers, way in the beginning of the law written by Moses. The idea is that you bring an offering of grains and of meat and a sacrifice, and you put all of that on the altar, and then you take a liquid offering, and you either pour it in front of the altar or on the altar. And if you've ever heated up something, and you got it really hot, and you pour liquid on it, what happens? It steams, and the steam rises. The idea is that Paul was actually pouring out his life like a liquid offering. He was pouring it onto the altar, serving God, And it was creating a smell that would rise to God, hopefully a good smell. And Paul was saying that he's pouring it out and he's inviting other people into the process because there's so much joy to realize that I'm pouring my life out and it actually matters. Christy and I were talking a couple, last year I believe, or the year before, talking about, you know, if you get hit by someone and you're carrying a cup of coffee, if you get hit by someone, what comes out of the cup? Coffee, because there's coffee in the cup. So you're going to get bumped, and you're going to get tripped, and you're going to get hit in life. What comes out is what's inside. And so spill well. Are you going to pour out like a good offering, a sweet-smelling savor to God, or are you going to pour out with negativity, distraction, and depression? He says, work it out to show the results of your salvation. There's incredible joy in living on purpose. And Paul encourages us to, to experience this joy every day and working it out. Something powerful happens when we understand the good news. Because at the end of this passage, he's like, there's joy that's there when I work out my salvation and I'm a light that shines around people. There's something interesting that happens when I understand the good news. I realize that I am no longer bound by my sin and my shame. 
I understand that I'm free from the eternal consequences of my sin. I understand that I am free from the bondage that sin gives. And the good news is that Jesus died for me and it's for everyone. Guess what the good news is for? It's for those that are sick, but it's also for those that are well. The good news is for those that are oppressed and also the oppressor. The good news is for the hungry and also for those that are full. The good news is for those that have, are, have tons of energy and those that are extremely tired. The good news is for black, white, brown, and every shade in between. When you come to Jesus, Scripture says that he resurrects and he gives me this energy and a desire to serve and follow him. And he puts a path in front of me, and that path that he puts in front of me is Jesus, and he invites me to run. And he invites me to run well. Let's pray. God, this morning, we know we need to work out the results of what you did so long ago on the cross. Jesus, you came to this earth and you lived a perfect life. You took my place on the cross. You took my burdens, my shame, and my sin. And God, you buried it. You paid for it. And then you've put my feet on a rock. You've put my feet on Jesus himself. And then you said, run. You've given me purpose and hope and peace. God, my prayer this morning is that as Bethel Community Church thinks through what it means to work out the results, to show proof, to show the results that you have come in and changed me, God, that we would make it all about you, that we'd elevate you, that our desires would diminish, that our focus and attention would be on you. God, that the people that are hurting and that are helpless and hopeless would be drawn to you, not so they'd look at us, but they'd look at you as the great resurrector, the great transformer, the one that comes, takes my desires and makes them new, takes my energy and makes it powerful. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for what you did so long ago on the cross. Because of what you did on the cross, because of what you did in the tomb where you rose from the dead, it gives me the desire and the will and the energy to serve you, and to bring others along in the journey. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. How encouraging to know that he is faithful and right. that he is there and he will do it again. When we feel like, oh gosh, things won't get better. It will. He, he is faithful continually. Um, I just, I love that verse, Philippians 2.15, where it talks about us shining as bright lights. Hmm. The idea to think that... If we stop arguing with each other and complaining and live clean lives, that we can breathe bright lights. That, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I was thinking about the implications of that. Why does the light need to be bright? So if I'm in a dark room, especially an unfamiliar one, why do I need a light? Why do I need a bright light? Well, I need it so I can find my way out with little pain. Because if, if I don't have light, I'm going to be running into everything. And so the idea of the bright light is I can find my way out without getting hurt. Hmm. And so what kind of light am I? So am I one of those, like, you know, when you blow out the candle and it's that tiny little ember that's still burning? Is that what I'm showing for people? Is that what people see in me? And Because they can't find their way out with that. Or am I like the battery or new batteries flashlight and... I am like full beam, and they're like, oh, I see the way. Yeah. 
That's what we have the opportunity to be. We have the opportunity to be a light so bright by not complaining and arguing and being clean lives. We have the opportunity for other people to be like, oh, I see the way. And what was the way to, to Christ? We have the way to lead others to Christ by the way that we act. Yeah. I, that's exciting and scary and, right. and everything at once. Well, was. it takes work. I think that's the end is it? Paul is like, hey, get to work, get to work. It takes work. We, I think we, today in our culture, it's like we're either an all grace culture or all judgment culture. We, we, we have this thing where it's like, oh, well, Jesus paid all. I can do what I want to do. And we just kind of sit around and do nothing. Or we sit on the other side and just criticize and judge and, and get mad about people for not doing. And so there's this middle ground, which is, okay, let's work hard because we have salvation. Now let's work it out. So I can't make my own light shine. It's actually a reflection of the work that he's doing in my life. And so it takes work. It really does. And sometimes you just got to start getting your body in motion before right. you're there. But the idea that we do have a part in that light yeah. shining, I yeah. mean, it's up to us. If we're going to get up and we're going to do the right thing and we're going to keep our mouth shut when we need to, we're going to open them when <laughs> we need to, we need to do the right do thing. Do you want to repeat that again for yourself? No, I'm just no. kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You guys, <laughs> right there, his light. His yep, light I just, is out. Right. I just went. Sorry. Yep, right, right there. <laughs> Is sarcasm part of it? I don't know. I don't know. know. I hope That's not. That's kind of bad. I hope yeah. not. Right. Mm. <laughs> no, sarcasm makes it shine brighter. <laughs> no, I don't know. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that either. So. so that's it. Okay. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. And remember here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another, to find and follow Jesus. Love you guys. Have a good week.